0: Good morning. Happy Monday. I have neural coffee in hand and Oh, come yeah. on, Bill. Give us one chance. One shot. Mike. One my shot. Guys. Get out of there. Oh,
1: Good morning. Happy Monday. I have neural coffee in hand and it is perfect. All right. Well, obviously that wasn't me. Uh, That was Matt from Australia who was here for the Intensive 18. We just wrapped that up over the weekend. Arguably one of the most intensive intensives. We had some uh, returning people, so it got really, really deep, really, really quickly, but it was a great time. Um, Thank you all for being here. I truly appreciate you. Uh, Intensive 19, obviously applications are closed. Um, We're going to be picking those here within the next couple of days, so if you did apply, uh, please be looking in your emails. I think I I put the deadline at at, uh, August 4th in letting you guys know about that. Digging into today's Q&A, this is with Manuel. It's going to be a great foundational uh, question for a lot of people because we covered a lot of ground in, in a relatively short period of time. Um, basically talking about the shape change that takes place in the pelvis during the squat and the directionality of the the internal and external rotations and so if you're having trouble with understanding how we actually change shape um, as you're passing through the squat this is going to be a great call for you uh apologies for not getting the podcast up over the weekend um it was a it was a really long hard uh intensive but in such a good way um but energy was low so we'll probably get that up a little bit later uh today for for all of you there um appreciate you all uh everybody have an outstanding monday and i'll see you tomorrow
2: manuel
3: hey bill I wanted to go back to the squats and uh, to kind of review some of the mechanics that are going on um, between the three phases. So, so when we start, so we, we initiate, so we're in that late representation. So we're moving the ilium on, on the sacrum. Yes. Right. And so, so then as you descend, the, the sacrum starts to mutate. Correct. and, And then the ilium starts to IR as well as you get closer yes, to the sticking point. Yep. Then as you go into uh, maximal depth, yep. The sacrum is moving
2: on the ilium, and you hit and you hit depth. Right. Really?
1: Yeah. Right. Oh, so you, yeah, you, or you said before. hit depth. I'm sorry.
2: All yes. Right.
1: Yes.
3: Okay. So, so uh, as you as you move uh, in that in that space, so are the tissue is are, are the connective tissues um, the. Is the connective tissue starting from a concentric, overcoming and then overcoming? Concentric, yes. Concentrically yield and then eccentrically yield.
1: Uh, it, it depending on where you're looking. Yes, I mean, the, like if you looked at so if you just looked at the outlet position, mm-hmm. that would be a that would be a really good representation of the outlet position.
3: Okay, Um, and then I guess. Is that, is that um, what we're mainly concerned about when we talk about the connective tissue in that case, or, um, or is that happening throughout the rest of the connective tissue, like at the knee or at the ankle?
1: Okay, so, there, so, th- so anything, any place that you see the, the expanded representation, okay? Mm-hmm. Now, so th- now, and keep in mind that this is going to be a load that's going to be a magnitude-dependent representation as well, right. mm-hmm. okay? But, but if, like, if we were looking at a knee, Okay, And then we got to look at this from from a rotational perspective as well in the knee, but we're gonna we're gonna simplify it into a two d representation, Fair. So as you're bending the knee, you have a compressor strategy on the posterior aspect of the knee. You have an expanded representation on the anterior aspect of the knee. Mm-hmm. okay? But we also got the the tibial rotation. So you can kind of see that that if I'm starting from um, a, a uh, the the late representation, and where the center of gravity would be, I am, I am, I am not in a uh, yielded state, if you will, um, until I start to descend. The knee is going to go through its Iod representation. It's going to expand anteriorly, right? And then as I sit, if you were to sit down and relax into the bottom of a squat, mm-hmm. you can feel the the expansion of the connective tissue behavior at the bottom, in the so knee. Like, yeah, like, yeah. like, if you, if, yes, if you, yeah. And, and, and honestly, it's like, like if some of the, the ways that some of your lifters would, would sort of bottom out in that position, the, the contact at the, at the knee is radically different um, when, it, especially when it's passively um, expanded,
2: mm-hmm.
1: right? You actually lose some of the, some of the congruence, if you will, mm-hmm. of the knee joint. As they descend, but then, but that would be one of those, that would be definitely one of those sensations that you would say, okay, I get the whole expansion thing, right? Mm -hmm. That makes sense?
3: Mm -hmm. Yeah. So then, um, yeah, so I I did kind of want to work my way down um, as to what, how the femur and then the tibia are rotating in that (laughs) throughout that excursion. So um, when you start at the top, your femur is ER ERing. Because your your hip is open, you have uh, your—that's what's getting you that legs out, knees out, foot out representation. And then as you go down, uh, you're you're maintaining that, but you're superimposing the IR at the femur through the sticking point. And then um, as you hit depth, do you see a re er er of the femur?
1: Um, Okay, so you've got a shape change. And Again, keep in mind this is all relative to magnitude, because okay? mm-hmm. because the 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 magnitude of load is going to take away the er, right? Yeah, um, yeah. You're going to get a re er of the and again there's there's relative motions that are taking place, but but if you look at it from the perspective of a re er, so so think about the counter nutated representation of the sacrum. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's an expanded an expanded Sacrum. So look at the sacrum like a parachute. It's got to expand into that counter-nutated position. Follow me so far.
3: Yes.
2: Yeah.
1: Okay. The lumbar spine is actually attached to the to the base of the sacrum. Mm-hmm. Gotta follow.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Right? Okay. So that's going so the lumbar spine in the in the deepest of deep squats would have to follow the sacrum. So if the sacrum is moving towards a counter-nutated representation, expanded ER representation, the spine is going to follow.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: OK. And so that would mean that the, the iterative representations are going to follow that, too, which means that I will have a, 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 a re-ER at the bottom. OK. Think about this for a sec.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Take the heaviest weight you've ever squatted. OK. Um. Did you have the, was that your deepest squat ever?
3: No, but uh, uh, no,
1: no, it wasn't. Okay. And the reason being is because if you went into your deepest squat ever with, with a PR load, you're never getting out of it. No. Because you would dampen so much at the bottom because the connective tissue behaviors would, would be yielded. They Like it the yield would just expand throughout your system and you would not be able to, to recapture the. The uh, the energy to recoil yourself back up, so you limit the ER exposure to keep the connective tissues stiff enough so that they deform and store more energy and release. But it's a re ering at the bottom.
3: So uh, I, I, the way I was I was starting to think of it was with the counter you're expanding the anterior outlet, you're reducing I guess anterior compression, and so that would re-er the femurs yeah yes right yeah okay
2: yeah
3: and then um so then the last piece that i had was uh the tibia so i know we talked about the tibia moving back and then uh at at the deepest part yes so so hang on can
1: we define back to make life simple
3: i i don't i'm trying to move away from 2d because it's confusing so
1: (laughs) (laughs) well so, so it would
3: it would ir
1: uh to a degree until you hit that point at the bottom where it has to yield then it's gonna then it's gonna er just like you would if you were stepping forward so the the, the backward movement of the mm-hmm. tibia that you would see, like if you're standing to someone's side and you see the, the tibia go forward as they mutate and then it drops back because it's following the sacrum, right? So the tibia and the sacrum are moving back together. The reason that it's moving back from that, that two dimensional view is because it's ERing again. It's but it's it's doing the same thing that the sacrum is doing. It's like mm-hmm. so the sacrum is expanding back into ER. It's the expanded representation of the of the sacrum. The tibia is going to move into its ER representation. It's an early ER representation.
3: Okay, so then the the femur and the tibia are both ering, but the tibia Different would be more,
1: tibia more, huh?
3: But so the tib- the femur and the tibia are ering at the bot at the depth, but. The tibia is relatively more ER'd?
1: Um again, hesitant to, to say that depending on on the actual magnitude of load here, but it would be relatively more ER'd.
2: Right. Okay.
1: It, it'd be as like I said, so when you step forward and your foot lands on the ground to take a step forward, you have it, you have a tibia that is in relative ER. Um, but it's not. Again, it's not the end representation of ER. It's it's not the screw homed representation of ER.
2: Mm-hmm. Right, right.
3: And then when when you are uh, catching something like the representation I showed you the other day, yeah, um, yep. you're you're still getting some of that, but because of the load, um, you're you're not you don't have that relative motion. you you have it you have it, but you're kind of just orienting inward. All of it, the whole the femur and the the tibia.
1: Okay, yeah, because I don't, I don't want as there, there's not as much yielding capability there, right? So right, I you have way I, overhead. Yes, so my concentric orientation is greater. My my overcome of the connective tissues is greater because I need I need a stiffer representation to maintain pressure. Because again, mm-hmm. if I yield too much in that in that in that circumstance, you just dampen everything and then you're just stuck at the bottom of your squat and you're never going to get out of it.
2: Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. See it?
3: Yes. Yeah. So I just wanted to go over those pieces because yeah. I, I was trying to visualize it. Um. <clears throat> the
1: thing, the, here's, the, here's the hardest thing to to, to grasp. When, when we talk about ERs and IRs, you can't think maximal. You just have to think compared to the previous position, right? Oh, Totally. Because if you think, because everything, like, everything's like maximal IR, maximal ER, it's like, uh, no, 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 it's doing like this kind of thing. And they're doing it relative. So like, if this starts to ER, right? So again, you think about timing. If if I have a, like a like a, a superior to inferior ER representation, that means that this goes first, and then this starts to go with it. So it's later. It's like, it's like so people say, well, but this is ER and that's IR. It's like, nah, they're both going in the same direction, just at different rates. Right. Mm-hmm. That's that's one of the tougher things to grasp.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Because everybody thinks that if if I say that the femur's ERing and the Tibbies ERing, everybody thinks that they're doing this. And it's that.
3: Can you show that on the pelvis model real quick? No. For a squat.
1: <laughs> I don't know if I can. Um, so all right. So you have you have a direction. Let, let's let's use the IR. Can we do that? Can sure. we use the IR representation? Okay. So, so as I'm descending into the squat, I have the IR that's going to be coming this away. Mm -hmm. Right. And so, so I, what happens is, is this is going to compress downward right here. Like I'm going to increase, I'm going to increase the load on the femur.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: That's going to start to bend this because I got, I got to bring, I got to bring IR. It's actually um, in in a, in a squat, it's going to go this way and then towards the center. So it's going to make like an L, L shape there like that. Mm -hmm. Right. So as I descend in the squat, I got I put more pressure on the the, the head of the femur. It's going to push. It's going to change its angle, right? So as I as I change this angle, it's going to create a force against the the pelvis, right? And for for me to maintain pressure, I have to push back against it. You see it like that? Mm-hmm. I have to push back against it. So there's the IR coming up from the from the ground. Yeah. So I started. So I'm standing, I start my descent, I got to put pressure down on, so this is why, this is why the sacrum has to push forward, like the ilium has to move forward, because I got to push down on the femur, so I get, so I can create an IR position to bring the, the internal rotation centrally. Yes. Okay. And so I get a shape change through the femur that comes up to promote the shape change into the pelvis.
2: hmm
1: You see, you see it. So I put pressure there that allows the IR to come this way. I got to push back against it. There's the IR representation there. And then I get the pressurization of the outlet coming up. I get the nutation of the sacrum to squeeze. And then there's my higher pressure representation Mm -hmm. as I descend past that. If I, if I want to keep going in the, in the downward direction, the IR representation is going to stop me. That, that upward pressure is what you use to get out of the, the squat. So I got to let that go, right? If I let the motor output de- decrease, Dante now knows that if I reduce the motor output, I have greater potential for yielding in the connective tissues. That's what happens at the bottom of the squat. And I go back into my ER representation, which is that. To get out of the squat, I gotta push this back up so the pelvis will do this, so I can push the IR back down into the femur and stand back up. So in the descent, the IR is coming this way, in the ascent, the IR is going that way. Good morning, happy Tuesday. I have neuro in hand and it is perfect. All right. Interesting Tuesday coming up. Looking forward to it. Um, So we're going to dig straight into today's Q&A. This is with Zach. Zach had a question in regards to some squatting behaviors. It seemed like the last call that we did uh, with the Coffee and Coaches conference call on Thursday morning. By the way, join us again 6 a.m. this week on Thursday. Um, Seems that everybody was into the squat. Um, So this is another squat question but it is in regards to the influence of connective tissue behaviors versus muscle orientation and the distinguishing characteristics in using banded versions of squats to assist us with the connective tissue behaviors. So that's one of the distinguishing characteristics of banded activities is that we're looking at that from the connective tissue behavior influence rather than a muscle position. So if you stretch a rubber band, you let it go, it goes back to the same shape, much like the connective tissues in your in your body. And so when we're emphasizing connective tissue behaviors, that is not a change in joint position. So, so if we have yielding and overcoming actions of connective tissues, that does not influence joint position, that would require a change in muscle orientation. So that's a great way to help you distinguish between the two. So. We talk about this influence in regards to um, how we would determine whether going to influence the magnitude of the load or the influence of the, the banded representations of, of the squad. So Zach, thank you so much for this question. Everybody have an outstanding Tuesday, and I will see you tomorrow.
4: I wanted to stick with squats also oh my gosh this is like That's the squatting episode squat, it's the squat call um band assistance um so like i feel like i have a lot of athletes that could potentially like benefit from this um i just don't really like understand it fully to feel like comfortable implementing um, so i guess what i'm getting lost conceptually right now like i get the assistance could help you out of the sticking point like re-accelerate guts upward like create a better like expanded representation in that bottom position where i'm struggling is like the interplay of the band assistance with just like straight adjusting the load by itself so like i could use the band to kind of like help reaccelerate me out and de-weight some of whatever load i'm using but like i feel like the most common context you see this is like with a barbell and some weight already on there. So like, I guess what could be the potential rationale of having weight and then going with the band assistance versus just like decreasing the total weight, okay. no band.
1: So, so the, what, what, what element of the process does the, does the band
4: represent? I'm not sure I understand.
1: Is it a muscle or is it connective tissue?
4: Connective tissue?
1: Yeah, because if you stretch a band and you let it go, did it change shape? No. It goes right back to where it started, right? So that's not a joint position change. So it's not a muscle orientation change with the rubber band. So what the bands are gonna do is they're gonna they're gonna take the connective tissue behavior that 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 you're trying to influence and they're going to magnify that representation.
3: Okay
4: i just trying to think that through for a second. So can I also influence the connective tissue? Like I can influence it. I, I, I get that it's the magnifying, like that storage and release, but I feel like I can also do that. Like I, I will, if I just took, if I took weight off the bar, Mm-hmm. I would also theoretically allow for more storage and release because I just have a less stiff representation.
1: Okay. So, so you, you, okay. Um going to do what to space. Uh,
4: increased magnitude will shrink the space.
1: It'll shrink the space. Okay. So you reduce the weight. So number one, you just gave them more space. That's useful in increasing the the representation of ER, okay? Um, If it's an early ER, then I have a yield, which is great, okay? Um, And so then you have to make the decision as to whether you're accessing that in regards to the connective tissue behaviors, okay? Um, What also is affected by a reduction, potentially affected by a reduction in magnitude?
4: In addition to just affecting the space available, yes. Would it be the connective tissue behavior?
1: Well, that's what I'm getting at. But but what element what element of force would be potentially affected if I make the weight lighter? Um, okay. How fat? How, let's take. Uh, I'm going to put 400 pounds on your back. Brushed. And You're going to squat that, and I want you to I want you to do it in less than a second. I want you to go all the way down and all the way back up with 400 pounds on your back. Is that going to happen? No, you have to slow down and do. It. But if I put hundred pounds in your bag, do you think you could move faster? Yes. Could there potentially be a greater storage and release of energy under those circumstances?
4: Yes. Okay.
1: So, so you're, you're not wrong in regards to just manipulation of the magnitude of load, but you also have to take into consideration um, the rate at which you're going to perform this activity, if you're trying to emphasize an element of the, the connective tissue behavior.
4: So, how how would you decide with the athlete? Like, I could get the same velocity theoretically with mm-hmm. like less weight, no band, versus a little more weight with the band. Yeah. So that, I guess this is kind of like the crux of the question. Like, what what is going into this decision? Yeah. Tell me, like, okay.
1: can I can I give you a scenario? Of course. Okay, two athletes. Okay, you're gonna test vertical jump. All right, Um, they both jump to, they both have a 32 inch vertical jump, so it's exactly the same. Okay, the first athlete pushes into the ground for 0.25 seconds to get his 32 inch vertical. The second athlete pushes in the ground for 0.35 seconds to get his 32 inch vertical. What's the difference?
4: So like one, the, the 0.35 seconds, like he spent had like a longer middle propulsive phase.
1: Yeah, so, so, so he had to produce more, more motor output to get the energy storage and release from the connective tissue. It took him longer to create the impulse. So his impulse, he has to apply ground contact longer, okay? If I wanna increase the emphasis on his connective tissues, What strategies can I use that don't
4: reduce the force output? So that, that could be the, the band assistance athlete. Yeah. 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 And if you want, if you want to extend the duration of.
1: Right. I'm trying to shorten, I'm trying to shorten the impulse.
4: Right. I'm saying for the, for the other athlete, like if you, if you make the decision, you're trying to like extend the duration of the middle P with the activity a little bit, maybe that's the reason to go more weight from the band. Yeah, you just you just put more weight on the bar. Gotcha. All right, that's that's helpful. Do you do you see the difference? Yeah, I, th- I will probably have a follow up at some point, but that gets me going. Yeah, to start for sure. Just
1: the 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 bands the bands the bands can't be representative of a muscle position.
4: Yeah, I I I, I get I get that. I think I think the. I didn't do a good job asking initially, but that last question of like differentiating between those two scenarios and how like that was, that was helpful.
2: Yeah.
1: Because then that's going to tell you, that's going to tell you what their behaviors are. And then, and it's always nice to have that little comparison, right? So you, but again, you're always comparing someone with themselves. So hopefully you can, you can take that example and apply it to an individual. Right. And, and, A lot of times you unfortunately don't have a profile of people before they get hurt. Gotcha.
4: So just quick follow up on that. So like that was an example of decision-making, like if you have numbers in the context of a vertical jump that might guide one of those two scenarios, um, from like a visual representation, like if you're just watching someone squat, um, what, what might we see that would say, Hey, like let's lighten the weight versus, Hey, let's put a band on this
1: um you ever see somebody squat down and they look really really good and then you tell them to push into the ground and their butt shifts back and then they go
4: up Mm -hmm. there you go wouldn't wouldn't that benefit from both of those though of either using the band or taking the weight off maybe so you could literally just try both and see which gives you the better visual
1: (laughs) what's wrong with that guess nothing is that science yeah. yeah it's that that's what we call science it's like you 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 hypothesize like so you're 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 going to take as much information as you have available to you and you're going to formulate a profile for this individual and you're going to say I think that this is going to be the influence. And sometimes you're going to be right. And sometimes you're going to be wrong, but you ran the experiment. And then that's what guides your process. And then you know what? When well, we have this conversation 25 years from now, when I'm sitting in the old folks home and um, you're, you're helping me move around with the tennis balls on the end of my walker, you know, um, and 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 you say, hey, you remember that? remember that coffee call where we were talking about running the experiment and actually figuring stuff out as you go instead of knowing ahead of time what's going to happen? It's like, yeah, that was really good. So, no, you you just have to run the experiment.
4: Yeah, I guess my, like, my thought with that is, so obviously you need to run the experiment. Yep. You may not know ahead of time, but Correct. now it's like, looking at it in retrospect, trying to figure out, like, why potentially did the band work better for that one person versus lightening the load for the other? Like, is there a reason that we can come up with where, like, we saw the same visual of the hip shooting back but the band helped this one person versus the lessening the weight helped the other person.
1: Um, so uh, number one, so so they they potentially have um, the uh, ability to um, create the muscle orientation. Okay, but it takes them too long up too much time to do it. Okay, so the band's going to alter time. So it's going to improve your rate producing capabilities right when you have to manipulate the load only they may not be able to produce the muscle orientation
4: gotcha all right so i feel like this keeps coming back to just either like if we want to simplify it just either a rate dependent quality or the ability yeah to do the position
1: that's what i'm trying (laughs) trying to show you with the with the it's like you got one person that's very connective tissue biased you got another person that that can still produce the impulse, but he needs a longer period of time to produce the impulse, which means that he's got to he's got to be re- like really ramp up the motor output to create the connective tissue behavior that allows them to do what they need to do. But it, that takes a longer period of time, gotcha. right? The other person has it, and then they can
4: they can store and release energy very quickly. Gotcha. Okay. Just took took me an extra an extra question to get there. All right.
1: Good morning. Happy Wednesday. I have neuro coffee in hand and it is perfect. All right. Today is Wednesday. That means that tomorrow's Thursday tomorrow 6am coffee in coaches conference call as usual a great way to start your day with a little bit of q&a great people, learn something to start off your uh, Thursday morning. Please join us again, 6 a.m. There is no charge for that other than showing up and maybe having a cup of coffee. All right, digging into today's Q&A, this is a little something different. So I had a conversation with uh, Pat Davidson. Uh, he's, he started a podcast, and so I'm on there, and Pat was kind enough to send me a little bit of our conversation. This section is on models and, and we started talking about models a few years ago. Pat and I spoke at the Reckoning at, at Mike Ranfone's place up in Hampton, Connecticut. Um, Must-see place if you're in the, in the neighborhood. Um, Mike's awesome. Um, he's got a great place to train, by the way. But anyway, Pat and I spoke at the Reckoning, and one of the concepts that I brought up was, was this concept of, of modeling because we're dealing with complex situations where we are always making decisions based on incomplete information, which is why we have to have an effective model. The more effective your model, the better your interventions, the better your interactions. And so this is a segment where we sort of expand upon the, the whys and the wherefores and, and the hows of such things and the usefulness of models. So I have to thank you, Pat, uh, for the conversation. First of all, always great to talk to you. And then thank you for letting me use this on social media. I think a lot of people will find it useful. Everybody have an outstanding Wednesday. I will see you tomorrow, 6 a.m., Coffee and Coaches Conference call.
0: So, you know, one of the things I, when, when you did speak at the reckoning, one Mm -hmm. of the things that you said that I think stuck with a number of people was, uh, write out your model. No, seriously, write out your model. Yes. And, um, I took it very seriously and I started really the next week and that led me to creating pretty much everything that I do professionally now. You right. know, it, it led to me. I read. I I wrote it out. I wrote it into a book eventually. It mm-hmm. took you know three years later, but it turned into that. It turned into a seminar series that I teach, and um and it was a hell of a process. And the yeah. other the other thing, you know, and it's this extrinsic uh, intrinsic knowledge becoming extrinsic and then returning to valuable intrinsic is kind of how I see it. And the other thing is this this principle-based approach. And and I really wanted to hear more from you, like your thoughts on when you think about creating a model or what models really represent to you. Mm-hmm. What 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 is that?
1: in um, and, and its in and its simplest level, it is it is a representation that you have about about how things behave and then how you interact with that. Right. And and it's the reason that we have to use something like this is because we can't understand. It. Yeah. Like there's, there are, there are too many influences. I mean, if we, if we just talk, talk about, and let's just say that we're, we're movement guys. Okay. Let's just say that any, everything we're, we are is about movement. It's like, we don't understand it. <laughs> like we just don't, there's just too many things. There are some principles upon which we can rely because they are, they are universal principles right? Like, like everything has to follow physical principles. And so the more we understand those, the more we can try to understand um, how we demonstrate those principles. Okay. But again, we have to use a, a model because of the, the level of complexity, it, it, at least for me, it's beyond my understanding. Like there's, sure. there, there's, there's going to be things that other people and other, uh, they will understand other elements of this, but But for me, it's like, it's just, it's, it's virtually impossible. You just think about all the possible interactions, you know, you've been in the purple room and it's just like, you know, it's like even the color of the the wall makes, makes a difference. Sure. How much, I don't know. I try to create the home field advantage, but again, you just think about all the possible influence, like like air, like air temperature, uh, color, like what their mood is, um, what they had for breakfast, like all of these things are actually factors in 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 creating an end result. We just don't know how much of an interaction they are, and so we have to have a principle based um, understanding of what is possible, and then we apply that. We intervene, we observe, and we say, okay, based on my understanding of the principles, here's what just happened. Here's how I can influence this. And then, and then it continues on and on and on. Everybody becomes their, their own N equals one experiment under those circumstances. And, and again, so, so the, a model is just a, a way that you represent the world and your understanding um, that allows you to, to uh, interact effectively. Um, we're gonna be wrong. Right, because we, yeah. we know, and you know, at, is this the point where I get to quote George Box? Is that is I, this, you have to summon him? I, 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 I think that anytime you talk about models, you got you got to quote George Box. It's like all models are wrong; some are useful. And the idea is, is 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 the your model has to continue to evolve. Um, in in its in its representation to allow you to be closer and closer to whatever the truth may be. And that and and the, the way you identify that is like so every time I intervene and I shift the probabilities in my favor, I'm getting closer and closer to what is what is the truth or whatever reality that we can actually see. And so again the model is just a representation and some models are very, very extensive and some are lesser so um yet um, many people can be effective with, with different representations, but, but here's what should happen, Pat, is that is that if, like, if, if we got 20 people in a room, everybody's got 20 worldviews, everybody's got 20 perspectives, but, but what we should find over time is that all of our models start to converge towards um, something, and that would be representative of truth, mm-hmm. Okay. And then eventually, given enough time, which would be beyond our lifetimes most likely, is that is that we should have we should start to see this convergence, um, where everybody has a similar representation, versus twenty totally different worldviews, hmm. right? And that's... and that that's the goal is to is to keep moving towards whatever that that truth may be.
0: Right. I, I mean, it's it's funny. I I try to. Um talk about this from the perspective of like we are actually from an evolutionary perspective not designed to it fully interact with reality like you know there's constraints on our system like we don't see the entire spectrum of light no nope, we don't not see uv or infrared you know we right. we don't hear every pitch that's available if someone blows a dog whistle you're like what why is this dog running you right. know so there, it's there's safeguards put on the system because reality so, is too. So that's a great way to look at it because because think about this, think about the think about the abundance of
1: information that is available to us and how messed up we are because of it, <laughs> you know. Yeah. And it's like some people don't manage it nearly as well, and those are the people that are maybe maybe they've got the, the diagnosis of anxiety or depression or something along those lines. It's like they're trying to manage something that is, might be on their capabilities without a little bit of help. And, and so, yeah, imagine if you did see every spectrum of light or, or heard every, oh my God, it'd be just
0: overwhelming. It's bad enough you know, as it is. Exactly. You know, there's a lot of sensory overwhelm problems and yeah. information overwhelm problems that exist on this planet. And yeah, yeah it's, it's, yeah. um. we're not, but it's ready. cool. Yeah, <laughs> but it's it really is. Cool. It's, it's really cool. Is. And yeah. um, I, I, I think the other, the other part is like, I do think that when people have a very absolute certainty that they're correct, it's it's like a demonstration of hubris where it's like, I mean, think of like the actual extent of reality is incredible. And like we're on this planet hurtling through space around a fireball on an angle, you know, at a bazillion miles an hour. Like it's it's the, the reality of it is 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 daunting. And um, so, you know, even inorganic movement, which is, I believe, a little bit more simple than animated organic movement, is very complicated from the perspective of everything that drives it. So uh, organic movement is an incredibly (laughs) overwhelming thing to think about in some ways. And Mm -hmm. um, I I do find it interesting almost that the Mm -hmm. truth is arrived at as a collective vetting process. Absolutely. You know, but it is. So think about it. It's like,
1: think of all the possibilities. Okay. If one person had to do that, it would take forever. Right. Right. So we have to take the experiments from everybody. And like I said, what, what you should see over time. And again, it, it, this will evolve and, and everybody gets closer and closer and, and you see little bits and pieces of this process, because what, what you'll have is, and, and again, take a bunch of people with different worldviews, and, and you demonstrate something and like three of those people will go, oh, that looks just like X, Y, Z. And then another three people say, no, 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 it looks like this. And the reason it starts to look like other things is because we are converging towards something that is a, a more truthful or, or realistic representation. So it should be um, um, a, a, a common representation, but people will always express things through the lens that they choose, yeah. right? That's and that's a big, big part. And that's why that's why you have arguments and, you know, discussions on the on the Internet that turn into like turf wars and arguments and disagreements and things like that is because because they're choosing to 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 have a limited perspective in saying, I'm going to stick with this and I'm going to defend it to the end because I don't want to be wrong. You know, that's a big part of the problem, too. It's like it's like you have to recognize the fact that you don't have it. (laughs) <laughs> like, like perfect. you don't have the answer. And so, you know, you've got to keep your eyes open and your, 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 your mind available to new information, because as the evidence adds up, you're going to have to, to change your reality. Good
2: morning.
1: Happy Thursday. I have neuro coffee in hand and it is perfect. Morning, Bill. How's it going? It is. It is great. Uh, you've been gone for a long time, so no pressure. This has to be like an awesome question. Just, yeah, I've like You've gone this long. It's like you 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 know you're you're highly skilled now,
2: right?
5: Yeah. <laughs> Good thing I'm known for being anticlimactic. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so actually, going back to Taya's like case and example, uh-huh. um, you talked about doing the. Um, like just like distraction of the leg in a prone position. Uh-huh. Um, just to, my mind was like going a million directions. I didn't realize or think about that because I always do like that distraction like a supine position. Oops. Right, and I, now that I'm thinking about it, I realize <clears throat> that it might be counterintuitive to do certain manual stuff um, depending on the whole pelvis position. So two parts for that prone position, um, the distraction you're trying to, um, I guess, elicit or help someone obtain a late propulsive phase. Okay. Is there a prone it?
1: At- Hang on. <clears throat> it depends on what you're chasing. Okay. So if I put somebody in their back, all right. And and I pull on their leg?
2: Where is the movement going to take place?
5: The it's the, really the, hard to say, isn't it? The whole leg? Like I guess depends how hard I Hang pull. Hang on,
1: boss. Hang on. So I'm gonna so in your mind, put your, put yourself on your back and then have somebody pull on your leg. Okay what will be where will the movement be distributed?
5: The whole right leg.
1: Is it attached to anything? My whole body. Okay. So, so if I'm trying to create a focal shape change, like a very targeted shape change, I have to put you in a position that has limited motion um, where I don't want the motion to take place if I'm trying to emphasize an element. So I was talking about the femur. Okay. okay, I'm trying to promote a, promote a shape change in the proximal femur, and I put you in a position where the load would be distributed. What's the difference between prone and supine? In, the, in regards to like the posterior elements of the, of the hip and the axial skeleton?
5: The guts fall forward and or anterior and prone and on supine, guts fall backwards.
1: Awesome. Okay. How much, how much um, compressive force do I have against the sacrum in prone versus supine?
5: I'm guessing in supine, you probably have more compressive because it's falling onto it. Okay. Would,
1: would, when From we, the when front. To, uno momento, por favor. So when we're trying to capture an early representation, do we t- tend to put people in prone or do we put them in supine? Supine. Okay, so that means that the load that's distributed through the connective tissues would be distributed. And so if I'm trying to get a focal shape change, a very specific shape change. So I'm trying to emphasize the proximal femur shape. Literally, I'm trying to emphasize the proximal femur shape, okay? And the pelvis orientation, but that comes second. Okay, so did you hear that?
5: Yeah, one more time, I got noise in the
1: background. That was very very presidential of me. so, so if I'm trying to create a, a, a proximal shape change in the femur, I need to put you in a position that has less relative motion available, which would be the prone representation of ER. because what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to change the shape of the proximal femur from an IR representation to an ER representation. So I put you in prone where there's less motion. okay?
5: Got it? That makes sense. okay.
1: okay. so so, Yes, I'm using a late representation for a very specific purpose to limit where the shape change can take place. Okay. Did you disarticulate the uh, hip in your cadaver in your your anatomy class?
5: Uh, COVID, no cadavers.
1: Okay. The way that you disarticulate a hip is you put it in a closed pack position, which is prone in ER. Okay. So if I pull on the leg and I get a closed pack position at the hip, the, the movement um, proximal to the hip is minimized. I get the I get the shape change in the femur that I want. So I can move the femur from an ir compressive representation to an er representation. Then I flip you over in your back. And guess what happens? I get crazy ER back. Oh, wow. I- oh, wow. Yeah, it's pretty cool actually. I just work. never thought about. Doesn't always work, dude. I, like doesn't always work. Okay, um, just because some people are just more and more difficult. Now, Double whammy. <clears throat> okay, I put you in prone. I traction the leg. I got you in an ERD representation. Right, as the femur changes shape, the muscle orientation above the trochanter goes from concentric to eccentric orientation. That reduces the anti orientation. I flip you back over in your back, I get ER.
2: Straight leg. With man. IR.
1: With IR. Okay.
2: Wow. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So that would be why you would want to do that. So, so again, it's, it's um, you know how I talk about interference?
4: Mm-hmm.
1: Okay. Sometimes you use interference to your advantage to create an area of emphasis. So when you're trying to untwist a hand relative to the distal radius, I got to fix everything from proximal to distal in a certain position, then I can turn my hand against it. So this would be so I, so I, I take an an early IR representation of the extremity and I superimpose an ER distal on top of it. That's how you untwist a hand because I have to have the relative position change, right? So if I put everything in ER and I try to twist the hand into ER, sometimes you can get it, sometimes you don't. But if I if I have everything going the other way, and then I twist the hand in that direction, boom! There's my big change. You see it? Yeah. Intentionally understanding where the interference is to promote the effective change.
5: Wow. Cool. Yeah. Now I have to rethink all my manual stuff. I think. Yes, you do.
1: Yes, you do. But 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 understand this: it's it focus on focus on on principle. It's like like understanding the relationships of where things are. You know if, if you're going to mobilize if you're going to mobilize a uh, you know a, a, a tibia into uh, an early ad representation, it behooves you to have a pelvis that's in the same position because chances are you'll get a change at the knee, but it won't stick because you never had the the distribution right? I want, I want this stuff to match. That's why early, middle, and late matter, because everything's going to fall into one of those representations. Whether you're talking about a mobilization or an exercise or, or a position, it's all the same stuff. But that's the advantage of understanding the difference. And, and, it, to be, and, and when I say difference, I'm talking about the early, middle, and late differences, but then understanding that everything's the same. Um, mobilization can be middle, early, or late. An exercise can be early, middle or late. Do a late representation when you wanted an early, you screw up.
5: That makes a lot of sense because I've run into that issue. Like I've tried a quick little like the tibia thing and I'm like, oh, that feels good and then all of a sudden I just lose it and I'm like, it doesn't stick, but that makes that connects a lot of dots, thank you.
1: yeah you, you got you, okay back in back in school um, you're in an ortho and they're they're teaching I do a knee exam. Right. What's what's the rule in regards to uh, when you're doing any specific joint exam? What what is the the simple rule that they give you? Like if you're looking at an elbow, they say check the and then check the
5: oh are you talking about like do the this the distal above and, the joint part, below. and then right? I forget what it's called, but yes, I
1: it's joint above and joint below, right? So they yeah. it, they say, oh, make sure you check the hip and check the foot, but then they never tell you why. <laughs>
4: right. right?
1: So the reason, the reason you check is because you want them to match. I want, I so if, if I'm trying to get IR at the knee, I better have a foot that can capture the IR. I better have a pelvis that can capture the IR. See it? But see, they don't tell you that. They stop short because they don't know. Wow. Yeah. Okay.
5: The suspense was worth a couple of months, Bill. Thank
1: you. <laughs> <laughs> well, welcome back. I'm glad you're here. Good morning. Happy Friday. I have Neurocoffee in hand, and it is perfect. A very busy Friday coming up. We're going to dig straight into today's Q&A. Um, this is a question with Robbie. Here's the cool thing. Uh, the Coffee and Coaches Conference call is not restricted to anyone. Anybody can join us um, if they have the interest in um, a, a representation of my model or they're just interested in movement, however it may be. Robbie is a golf swing coach, which I love. Some of my, some of my uh, favorite people that are applying uh, the model in context, swing coaches and then pitching coaches. Um, always great to have them join us in the call. So Robbie's question is, how does is the model represent the golf swing? And once we break that down a little bit, Robbie's already had some exposure through through my guy in Arizona, Mike K, who's doing great things with the model out there. Um, But this will break this down a little bit more effectively for you. If you're interested in in golf, if you're a swing coach, or you're just interested in in improving your swing, this should be a little bit more helpful for you um, in regards to how we represent this early um position we actually break this down in the pelvis as well to give you a little bit more guidance so thank you robbie for being on the call thank you for your question going to help a lot of people everybody have an outstanding friday podcast should be up on sunday as usual and i will see you next week
6: good morning bill would i be able to do a follow-up question with that please yes you may hi um i'll have to apologize to the group i don't have a pt background i'm a golf coach and i just found you through uh dr mike k and you recommended. that Never idea. heard of it. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I think for me, I, I'm just at, the, at this point trying to get really a, a bit more familiar with the terminology, kind of the paradigm of, of, mm-hmm. kind of how you look at movement. So yeah. when you say early, middle, late, can, yep. we, can we associate that to um, E-R-I-R-E-R?
1: Um, that would be another representation of that, but but the but you have to understand the differences between the the external rotations. Because the the external rotation is describing is describing a a relative position. Okay. Okay. There's a difference, there's a difference in the connective tissue behavior between an early ER and a late ER. That would be, in fact, that's that would be the significant difference between the two. I see. Okay. So, so, So let me let me talk golf. Okay.
6: Please, that'd be great.
1: <laughs> okay, right-hand golfer, right side, top of the backswing. Okay. Before, before you change direction. Okay. Early er. Okay. There has to be a stop at the top of the golf swing to change direction. Correct.
6: Correct. And when awesome. you say a stop, is that is that concentric orientation like? essentially muscle tension or where you so, with-
1: so there's a twist at the top where motion stops where, where the relative motion of the of the body stops but the body continues to twist yes got it. okay that is a compression okay that is a that is a middle middle propulsive rep- representation because in middle everything gets compressed and 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 movement stops okay okay and then you change direction and then the club starts going downhill right Downswing yes that is a lady yard representation so when you look at the follow-through on the right side great representation of play awesome you get
6: it Very helpful thank you
1: yeah so same thing happens uh when you take a step forward right so 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 swinging a golf club is just walking and
6: I, I heard that on a uh, on another podcast i think you did and i i've already been able to kind of implement that in some of my sessions it's been really helpful so appreciate it yeah
1: so so here's so here's the can i can i speak golf coach for a sec please do okay the one thing you never want to do with with a golfer is is make his swing like someone else's all right the thing you want to recognize is that there are certain elements of a golf swing that have to be present for all golfers to swing a golf club, how they get. So it's the spaces in between that makes them an individual. And then there's those elements that have to be there. So I need an early representation, I need a middle representation, and I need a late representation. Okay. Their physical structure is going to determine how they do that. So you take a tall, slender golfer, and you take a short, stocky golfer. They both have early, middles, and lates, but they're better at certain aspects of that. And so their golf swing cannot look the same. Totally. Like you're sure you out. I'm sure you figured that out. But we're here to help the whole world.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, I just—it's just one of those things. Like like whoever's got the hot you know, the, the hot clubs in the, in the PGA is everybody tries to swing a golf club like them. And then they end up with yep. like, you know, herniated discs and stuff. Like that, <laughs> and trying to swing a golf club like somebody else. Absolutely. Yeah.
6: Cool with that. Absolutely. Thanks so much.
1: Did you have another question, Robbie?
6: I did. Okay. My bad. No worries. You're good. Um, so I think you said in an earlier video, when we're talking about the pelvis, and this whole like shape change stuff is super new to me, but like, cause before I used to just want to like, try to get their pelvis as a unit to like rotate in the backswing yes. and yeah. that didn't work out well. So it's, <laughs> it's been much, it's been much more successful sort of encouraging the shape change. But you said that the left side of the pelvis moves more forwards than the right side moves back. Is that correct?
1: For, for what? Where, where are, the are
6: right-handed, we? Right-hand swing, right-handed right-handed golfer backswing,
1: okay. left Okay. Yeah. So a right-handed golfer, right-handed golfer backswing. If we're looking at the left side of the pelvis, that's going to, that's going to, it's got to, it's got to push. If I say sacrum, are we okay with that? Yes. You feel like you've got the anatomical understanding. And then if you've been hanging out with Kay, I don't think you could probably ignore that. Getting getting there. Yeah. Yeah. So,
6: uh, Yes. I was hoping you'd bring this one out. Good. All right. Awesome.
1: So left side versus right side. Okay. Yes. So they're both going to be in an ERD representation. This one's going to push forward against the sacrum to turn it into the right leg. This one moves back. Okay. So there's there's two there's two ERD representations. So the early representation is the sacrum moving back on the ilium, and the late representation is the ilium moving forward on the sacrum. Not so, so they're not the same thing this one has connective tissue behaviors that are that are overcoming so the connective tissue are behaving in in an energy releasing or stiffer representation these are actually creating sort of like a little parachute where it it creates a slowdown on this side and this is where you store the energy and then so in the downswing it reverses gears and then in follow-through it's the opposite
2: Mm,
6: got it now does that same shape change happen in the rib cage as well yes so
1: Absolutely,
6: has to, has to. So backswing, backswing. You're getting the left side, sort of,
1: kind of. So take your take your left shoulder blade, and push it towards the camera. Uh, that's not what I meant. So <laughs> <you> get, <laughs> it's okay. It's all right. No, that's that that would be terrible too. Um, just 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 push it. Like make a. You, you got the logo there on your on your shirt. Make the logo bigger. There you go. That's what I wanted you to do. See it? See it on camera? Yes. There you go. That's what I wanted you to do. There.
6: So this, this is this is this is a backswing.
1: Yes, sir. Well, d- don't pull your right shoulder back. Just just kind of let it hang there for a second. Just there you go. Would you just have a light bulb moment?
6: Kind of. And then and then. <laughs> And then, uh, kind I, of,
1: Robbie. Can I give you a simple rule? Yes. You always move in the direction of expansion. Okay. So for you to make a turn to the right, the left anterior aspect of your axial skeleton has to expand, and the right posterior needs to expand at the same time. Otherwise, you don't turn.
2: Mm. Okay. okay.
1: It's not a relative motion. It wouldn't be relative motions.
2: Okay there's, so, there's a
1: point where there's no relative motion, okay in the golf swing, which has to happen because you've got to load the connective tissue behaviors. but but to initiate the turn, you have to create the expansions. Otherwise, like I said, it's pure orientation. So here's how you can tell that somebody's orienting versus versus creating the relative motion turn. If you see the knee track away from midline and they roll to the outside edge of their of their heel, that's an orientation, okay? Do you ever see Bobby, Bobby Jones's swing back? in yes. the Okay. Lousy, lousy backswing, but I don't think there was anybody better at recapturing the foot position on the way back during mm. the downswing. It's like, you watch, you watch his right foot and you go, that's crazy. Cause it looks like a, it looks like a follow through in his, in his takeaway. Right. Mm. And then he captures this, this awesome middle foot position and swing straight through it. So he just figured out a way to, you know, perfect his imperfections if you will. Um Lee Trevino Lee Trevino was very similar in that respect but he never had a golf coach. That's probably why he swung a golf club the way he did. Um <laughs> but but no you'll you'll just see you'll just see this this kind of stuff. But but if you can teach people to to capture these these earlier representations number 1 they're going to be more comfortable. Um they're going to last longer. It's 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 less energy intensive you know so you get, the, you get the guys that drop off you know at the 12th hole you know and then like they the last six holes like they're always over par right they, they literally run out of gas because their efficiency is so poor you're going to improve their their tissue efficiency they'll last a lot longer number one and they'll be more consistent with their with their uh, their swing